Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, in this episode, I sat down with Michelle Linhart, who is Jenna Linhart's uh, older sister uh, from the last episode. Um, she's a recent uh, graduate from Central College in Pella, Iowa. She studied psychology and Spanish, um, but we talked about her story as usual. But we talked about how OCD, how she had OCD and it, how it impacted her faith. And so we talked for a long time about like what OCD is, um, how people misunderstand it, and things like that. Um, we also got into a little conversation about like mental health and the Enneagram. So if you're interested in that, stick around, but enjoy. You go for it. Yeah, now we are live though. I didn't even check, like, can you hear me well? Like, is my audio good? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I can hear you just fine. Okay, great, perfect. Yeah. So, hello everyone. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting with Michelle Linhart. Last week I had Jenna Linhart, who was, um, well, Michelle's sister. Uh, I'm going to start the podcast off a little differently. So, right now I have um, a ton of, like, old Facebook messages, basically. And I kind of want you to, I want you to guess who they are. You probably will, you'll figure it out pretty quickly, but I'm going to just read the, some of them because they're just so old and they're just so funny and I want to read them. Um, but if you, you just say when you know them, but I want to read all these anyways. So 11 years ago, April 22nd, 2019, finished her chips and is now upset. That's all it says. And it's a sad face. And then I think like same day, Probably a little after, or well, but before this actually says, eat, is eating some good chips, smiley face. <laughs> and so then eight years ago, we have March 10th, uh, don't, don't, <laughs> and don't you worry your pretty little mind. People throw rocks and think, <laughs> and things that shine. And there's but like a, like a heart, not like the actual emoji, but just like the um, lesson sign in a three. <laughs> and then February 21st, 2012, God has no phone, but I, <laughs> but I talked to him. He has no Facebook, but he's still my friend. Um, he does not have a Twitter, but I still follow him. And it's like a smiley face with like a like the little um, crying face. And 12 likes, surprisingly. Um, these just get better. The homework to <laughs> the homework to week and time ratio is not acceptable. Sigh. Oh, school. How I wish you were over. Do you know who this is? Is it Jenna? <laughs> it is Jenna. <laughs> I, still... <laughs> the f- I think I got it right away when you said the chips thing because I remember her <laughs> sending, she frequently sends like her memories from Facebook. I love and those. They, it is some of the strangest things that she came up with. She's absolutely hilarious and I absolutely love it. But yeah, once you said chips, I was like, okay, I think this is Jenna, but I need to wait and make sure before I make any sort of claims. (laughs) There's a few more though. So this one from 2012 also, a few months later says, I don't care what you think of me unless you think I'm awesome. In which case you're right. That's (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Or um, says, it says, well, her name, like her gentleman, her, like a profile on that says, says, comma, yay, snow is my favorite type of precipitation. Then Who this uses one says, that term? <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> this 
this one says just taught myself how to roll my my belly backwards and it's like the like the smiley face with like a d instead but mm-hmm. it's spelled taught t-o-u-g-h-t so it's not even correct but mm. and this one is it's hard to type with the band-aid on um <laughs> mix, mixed melon chunks that's gross you don't use the word chunks when you you're serving a meal why could it be why couldn't it be mixed melon well that's beyond me and your mom liked that two likes <laughs> your mom's one of them <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and this one is, <laughs> I'm holding my puppy thinking I'm finally 10 double digits happy <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> to me <laughs> that's that's all of them but <laughs> sometimes I just like see them on Facebook and I'm just like shocked I can't believe she posted stuff like that. Like I, we were together all the time. And so my thing is like, when was she posting these? Because we were always together and I never, I never knew she was posting these and I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, I did. Oh, Mm -hmm. you just did it. That's okay. As the middle child, I really never know what's going on. And I think it was just one of those. She did her own thing. Rachel, my older sister, did her own thing. I just existed and floated between the two. Sometimes I knew what was happening. Sometimes I didn't. I guess <laughs> this was one of those things. I didn't know what was happening. It makes it funnier I, for me because your mom's liking all of those. Like a lot of those just have like one like and it's your mom. That's mm-hmm. just so funny to me. Um, what a supportive parent. Let me tell you. Yeah. She is one of those. <laughs> Very true. Uh, but yeah. So Michelle. Your Jenna's sister, you didn't go to mm-hmm. Iowa State like her. Uh, where did you go to school? Yes. So I tried so very hard, Adam, to get Jenna to go to the one and only place that is the most important in colleges, and that is Central College in Pella, Iowa. Oh my of course, I love <laughs> Iowa. I know. I love Iowa State, but I thought having two Lindharts on campus at once would be cooler than just one Lindhart on campus. But I, I support I support everything. <laughs> I love Iowa State. I support her choice, I guess. But yeah, so longer story longer, I went to Central in Pella. How big is Central? So Central is a private school. So it's really pretty small. So I had a graduating class of about, I'm going to take a guess here, but I think it was around 300. Wow. So some of the larger schools, like in Cedar Rapids, yep, have like the same size my, of a graduating class. I graduated with, I think, like 350 something, mm-hmm. or probably a little more than that. So that's yeah. kind of insane to me. Mm-hmm. That's like my high school. I would know everyone in there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just recently graduated. You just moved out, actually, too. Um, when yeah. did you graduate? Like, what was your degree? Like, what were you studying? Yeah. So I was a double major in psychology and Spanish. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So what were you like planning to do with like psychology and Spanish then? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. (laughs) I kind of had like my senior year of all years, I kind of had this like moment where I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I had um, known I really liked psychology. I just kind of took Spanish because I liked it. And then one thing led to the next and I was a major. So I just kind of kept going with it. Um, but I kind of was at this point where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I'm kind of still at that point, but I am currently finding and understanding that what I want to do is move towards like forensic psychology. 
kids. So working with people with mental health um, challenges and um, specifically working, I'm hoping with an incarcerated population uh, and kind of going from there. Uh, but that's pretty much all I really know. I really like the clinical side of psychology. So abnormal psychology, psychopathology, that stuff. Otherwise, I'm just kind of floating and hoping to see where I land. Um, I pray on a daily basis that God will lead me to where I'm ever I'm supposed to go. Uh, but that's still unfolding. But yeah, so my biggest interest currently is something within the criminal justice law enforcement field. Wow. Um, a little curious too, because Central is so small. I don't, I'm like, in terms of like college mm-hmm. ministries, I only know like Salt Company. I'm even wearing a Salt Company shirt. I just realized that too, as I'm saying this. <laughs> but um, yeah, what kind of like ministries were you involved with like in college? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at Central, we really have like two types of ministry options. We had campus ministries, which is actually run like through Central College's campus. And then we actually, we also have another one. We have um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is kind of like an organization that a lot of people are familiarized with. um, That Central, like they, they focus around kind of um, ministering to the athletic population, also coaches as well being non-athlete I was not part of that group (laughs) full full support though for their mission and what they have to offer um but my main thing that I was a part of was InterVarsity so InterVarsity you have an InterVarsity um chapter at Iowa State it's really super small I know there's not a lot happening but basically what InterVarsity is is it's just um a Christian organization that focuses around um, spreading God's word. And they really, really like to central on um, diversity and inclusion. And so I was a part of that ministry um, this past year, my senior year. Prior to that, um, my involvement on campus was kind of limited. I um, was really, really close with my back home pastor in Williamsburg. So I would travel um, my freshman and sophomore year back home just to be involved like in every those week? kind of ministry things. Yeah, pretty Whoa. much every weekend. How, wait, how long is the drive yeah. for that? Um, an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. I thought yeah. like a 30-minute drive to Marion from Cedar Rapids was long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time singing in the car, contemplating life, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so then my sophomore, (laughs) also my sophomore year, I went abroad as well to Mexico. And so that kind of threw a rock in things as well in regards to like where I was affiliated with like my church involvement, because I was still obviously a Christian. I grew really close, close to Christ during that time, but I wasn't actually part of like a ministry. Hmm. And so my junior year, um, I started to get involved with InterVarsity, but then I officially became a staff member um, my senior year. Hmm. Okay, so let's take a, like, a little step back. We heard a little bit about like, your college experience with ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, yeah. before college and, like, um, how you were saved and, like, mm-hmm. uh, when you became a Christian and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian family. Um, so I always knew who God was, always knew who Christ was, didn't quite understand the full capacity of it all until I was about in seventh and eighth grade. 
I actually, due to bullying issues, was transferred from the public school to a private school in seventh grade. Hmm. And um, the private school that I attended was a Lutheran school. And in seventh and eighth grade, they begin doing confirmation classes. And so it was a requirement for me, even though I wasn't Lutheran, I was Presbyterian. Um, I had to choose one of the churches. There was like five or six churches that is affiliated with this school. I chose one of the churches and took confirmation courses. And on top of that, I also had religion courses for school, just for regular school, because it was a religious school. What kind of and, courses did you take as a, as a middle mm-hmm. schooler? So we basically had... Kind of jealous, honestly. Yeah, it was, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was outrageous. It was literally everything God affiliated was thrown in my face and I knew nothing. It was crazy. I went from thinking I knew what Christ was and thinking I knew what the Bible was. I, to, I had no idea the depths and like the capacity in which Christ exists. It was crazy. But I, um, so the classes that I had, I had religion courses just basic religion, Monday through Wednesday, and then I had confirmation class Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then their curriculum was, everything within the curriculum was faith-based. So when we had health class, we learned that from a Christian standpoint. When we had science class, we learned that from a Christian standpoint. Um, Even math, things like that, everything was based in the Christian faith. And so I was constantly getting some sort of um, religious or some sort of Christian like influence in every sort of class that I was taking. And plus we also had like catechism and we had um, (laughs) memory every week, which I was really poor at because I didn't even know catechisms existed. And so I had this Luther's catechism with full of different things that I didn't understand. For, but for I those who don't know, what are catechisms? Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who listen to this might not even have grown up in the church yeah. at all. Yeah, of course. So I still don't quite know what a catechism <laughs> is myself. So I will do my best to explain. So Luther's catechism is basically like, it's so for some of you that might know Martin Luther, he's really big okay. in um, the Lutheran movement. He lived, I don't know, hundreds of years ago in Europe, and he was um, just kind of a revolutionary for the Lutheran branch of Christianity. And he did like a whole bunch of writings, and all of his writings came together to form like this catechism. And so a lot of his writings provide like explanations. I could be totally doing this entirely wrong, but from my understanding, (laughs) I know from my understanding, (laughs) some people might be able to correct me and please do. Um, But from my understanding and what from, and from what I gathered was basically he created these writings in regards to like the 10 commandments or um, certain scriptures in the Bible and then provided explanations for those. And that's what the Luther's catechism is. So the first thing that I learned when I was at this school was not only the Ten Commandments in order, but also their explanations. So like Luther provided these explanations. So basically we would say this commandment and then what does this mean? It means this, 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 and this. I had to memorize that for class. 
Um, so that's kind of what the catechism was. And it might differ yeah. from different branches, but that's what it looked like within the Lutheran branch specifically. Hmm. Oh yeah, you can't, I kind of like cut you off. You were in the middle of uh, your story. But oh you're, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of yeah. forgot about that too, honestly. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's an important question to ask. For those who don't know, you would have no idea. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I have no idea either. That's okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to show you sometime. I still have it. It's floating around in my bookshelf somewhere. Um, but so basically I switched, uh, to this school and everything in my life did a total 180. So I went from kind of attending church every once in a while to all of a sudden I had church 24 seven. Um, we also had chapel on Wednesdays, which was two hours long. And then we also had like religious choir on Fridays. So I was just always getting some sort of, my cup was always being filled with God's word and God's love. And I don't really know at what point in which I like officially accepted him. Like it's not, for me, it wasn't like a moment like at Summer Games University where I just knew and I made that commitment immediately. It kind of just happened over time. And I had already kind of understood and committed myself to Christ, but I didn't full-heartedly do it until I was about in seventh and eighth grade. And it was during that time that I, he became like my ultimate savior and everything just became clear to me. And I was able to clearly and definitively say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe him to be my savior. Um, And so that's kind of where it all began. It's kind of just like a mush of things. Um, But yeah, that seventh and eighth grade year was a really super important period for my faith development. Sweet. Yeah. So we have like middle school, we have college, but um, Mm -hmm. what did it it kind of look like in high school living out your faith? Um, You talked a little bit about uh, before we even um, recorded actually Mm -hmm. about like um, OCD and stuff like that. What was it like growing up with that? Uh, going through high school yeah. or even like um, just living in general with that too. Yeah. So I'll give my little spiel. So for those who don't know, OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder is known to be characterized by two things. And those are obsessions and compulsions. So obsessions are reoccurring thoughts, images, or ideas that are intrusive um, and typically most of the time they cause anxiety for the sufferer. And as a result, individuals with OCD will um, partake in compulsions, which compulsions are repetitive or ritualistic tasks um, that are done in order to lessen the anxiety that's caused by the obsessions. So it's a very vicious cycle. You know, you you have this thought and then all of a sudden you have a compulsion and then the compulsion will diminish the anxiety temporarily but the obsession will come back. And so it just is kind of, it just continues over and over again. So they, my parents, they, as in my parents knew I suffered from OCD. Looking back at it, we didn't know what it was, but we can trace back my OCD tendencies to about the age of three. And so it started off with simple things Um, such as, you know, being afraid of cleaning products, being afraid of my personal story is a little interesting. Um, and it's not the stereotypical expectation of what OCD is. So like the media, 
a lot of times portrays OCD as being affiliated with um, cleanliness or um, a fear of germs. And while that is true, some of the time, uh, majority of sufferers have really unique obsessions and compulsions that aren't talked about in the media. So then OCD is kind of one of those weird disorders that differs from person to person, but there's like a generalized understanding of what it is at the same time. And so for me personally, my OCD tendencies when I was little started out with like contamination, but specifically ingesting contamination. Mm -hmm. So my dad was a carpet cleaner. So he had cleaning supplies all over the house. And my, I was really afraid of losing control and accidentally ingesting carpet cleaner, which is absolutely outrageous. One of the funniest things about OCD and one of the characteristic things about OCD is that people who suffer from the disorder know that their obsessions and their compulsions are completely not true. Like they're completely out of the ordinary and they're totally against what the individual believes. And they're just illogical. And individuals with OCD are able to recognize that, but they can't quite get themselves out of this OCD cycle. And so then they just get washed up in it. Anyway, getting back to me as a child. Um, so one of the first things my mom said when I was talking to her about it recently was I was afraid of swallowing a nail, which like what three-year-old child walks around asking if you've swallowed a nail? And you know, my mom thought I was just a worry wart. And so they just kind of went along with it and said, you know, Michelle, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Like, were you around nails lately? And I said, well, obviously, no, I wasn't. Um, and so as I grew up, it started to just kind of manifest itself in different ways and grow and develop. So as I kind of matured, I would take on different obsessions and compulsions. And that's still the case today. Um, as your brain develops and changes, so does my OCD. But for the most part, I've kind of centered around um, specific obsessions and specific compulsions. Um, and my biggest ones have been getting, like, my biggest fear has been getting sick. And that's always been my biggest fear. Um, that one has, thankfully, praise God, has um, kind of, I've overcome that one a little bit. Um, most of the part, I would say mostly I've overcome that one. Um, but obviously, as OCD does, it makes its presence in you know, the most unexpected ways. My newest one that I'm working through currently um, is perfectionism, which is like extreme perfectionism. It's, mm -hmm. it's terrible. And I'll explain that a little later, but I'll go back and kind of talk about my faith and how that influenced my OCD journey. So individuals with obsessive compulsive disorder, their experiences and the severity of OCD varies. So it's like a spectrum. So for me growing up, it was pretty severe. You know, I started when I was in about second grade, um, my parents started noticing that, you know, I wasn't eating. I would um, become very upset. I had a lot of, I just didn't want to attend school. I was just so full of fear and anxiety that I just couldn't perform my daily tasks like, um, nor, I don't want to say normal individuals cause we're all abnormal, <laughs> um, but would be expected of an individual who didn't suffer from OCD. And so, um, I was taken in, I was diagnosed in second grade officially, but looking back, I had it 
ever since I was right. born. Um, and so from there, what that meant was treatment for me looked like um, therapy every week. So I'd go to Iowa City since being from Williamsburg, I, you know, had to go to Iowa City. So it was about a 30 minute drive. Um, and then I was also placed on medication as well. And I still continue that process to this day. Um, but one of the most difficult things about OCD is that it doesn't cure itself overnight. And there is no cure for it anyway either. So when I was younger to this day, even though I'm on medication, even though I'm active in therapy, I still have symptoms. And that's just the name of the game. That's the nature of the beast. And so I have found though a lot of comfort in utilizing my faith as a means to gain strength and as a means to fight OCD. Um, OCD in and of itself, the best way to treat it is through something called exposure and response prevention therapy. And so a lot of people don't know what that is, but for someone with OCD, that is an absolutely terrifying word because basically what that means shorthand is that in order for you to get better, you have to face your fears. So for me, well, I'll use a more like generalized example. So for someone who's afraid of germs or contamination in dirt, what that means for them in order for them to get better means that they're going to have to rub their hands in dirt. They're going to have to rub their face with dirt and then they're going to have to withhold their compulsions and they just have to sit Mm. with the uncomfortable anxiety that accompanies this terrifying act um, until the anxiety resides and goes away. And so for individuals with OCD, this is just an awful awful task because you're having to do the one thing that your brain has taught you to fear the most. And so you have to muster up a lot of strength and a lot of courage to do that. And so I found a lot of strength and courage in God and in my faith Mm -hmm. because I knew I couldn't do it by myself. And so, and I still continue to do that to this day as well. So spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time asking God for comfort. One of my um, treatment methods as well was going to a safe place. And so my safe place was actually with my grandma. And my grandma is like this upstanding Christian woman. She radiates God in everything she does. And um, the sun, I was in her sunroom and the sun would come in and I could just feel God's presence. So that's always been my safe place as well. So it's kind of a messy story and it's probably really hard to follow. And I apologize in advance well, you're doing great. now after, after I've spent 20 minutes talking about it, I'm sorry <laughs> about how complicated it is. I should have prefaced this, I'll get um, over it. but yeah, you'll follow <laughs> along. Um, but yeah, so my faith has always served as kind of the foundation and as the basis for my courage and for my strength um, in having to face my biggest fears through either exposure and response prevention therapy or just um, exposing my fears in general day-to-day activities in life. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, like for a person Mm -hmm. who doesn't have OCD, um, what's like some like misunderstandings, you kind of went over it already, but like what's something that like a per like an outside person like myself might say to you that's kind of just like, oh, that wasn't really sensitive or that's not really true about Mm -hmm. um, OCD and like, how can we correct that too? 
Yeah, you bet. So interestingly enough, as a psychology <laughs> student, um, I got to do my own research. And I specifically did research on um, perceptions of obsessive of individuals with obsessive compulsive disorder within the school system. And so I kind of got firsthand like experience and knowledge. Well, obviously I had firsthand experience <laughs> and knowledge my, myself. Yes. But from another perspective, um, I got really valuable information that allowed me to kind of further develop an understanding of how people view OCD currently um, and what ways we can move forward in changing that view to become more accurate. So to start off, I would say I personally am not easily offended by individuals who make comments about having OCD tendencies because it's a misunderstood and it's a misunderstood um, disorder. And so I, I personally feel that I can't hold any sort of frustration or resentment towards an individual who doesn't understand. Um, and so part of my duty as an individual with obsessive compulsive disorder is to spread that awareness and to um, educate individuals who aren't aware of what the disorder entails. So I think I can say though, one of the things that I encounter most frequently is when I say, oh, I suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, individuals will say, you know, like, what is that? Or I've heard of that. And I'll kind of explain it to them and they'll follow up with, oh yeah, I have that. I have that in regards mm. to cleaning or I have that in regards to, I like to have my, um, things lined up in a perfect way. And if it's not in a perfect way, it just bugs me. Um, and so that's what <laughs> Which is, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I hear quite frequently when I try to explain it to people. And I do have to take the time and say, yeah, we actually all have OCD tendencies, but there's a difference between OCD tendencies and a full on blown diagnosis of OCD and people with OCD can speak to this they are unable to control any sort of their obsessions or mm. compulsions. So for people who say that it like bugs me or I have to do this or else that it feels uncomfortable, that is OCD tendencies right there for you. But people with OCD, they can't go on until they fix it. Or what they can't do is that they can't regulate like the emotions or the behaviors that are associated with a certain um, worry or fear. And so there is kind of a stark difference and it's really hard to know and to understand until you've experienced it firsthand yourself. So like my mom, I talked to her and she said, you know, Michelle, I would have no idea what OCD is if you didn't have it. And I think that's true for a lot of people and that's okay. That's totally normal. And so I think, like I said, the biggest thing is that I just hear people say, yeah, yeah, I have it, thinking that it's along the lines of something that's a little more controllable than it actually is. Because for a lot of sufferers, it's, it's a really devastating and life-controlling disorder. And it can cause a lot of people to, um, you know, miss out on important things. You know, they have to really regulate certain things that they do, or they have to miss out on doing 
um, activities that they would normally want to do, but they can't do because of their OCD. And so they're really limited in their behaviors. And that's what differentiates from OCD um, tendencies to OCD in and of itself is that people with OCD are, they're really limited. They really can't, they can't control it and they can't get over it. And it's something that um, continues on um, despite any sort of like change in behavior. So Hopefully that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes um, total sense. Yeah, and so <laughs> for, I think moving forward, I've already touched on this a little bit. Um, obviously just education. Education on my part as an OCD sufferer, I think is super important, but some people aren't super open about having obsessive compulsive disorder and that's obviously totally okay. Um, each person has to, you know, each person in their battle with their mental health whether it be OCD, depression, anxiety, they have their own journey. And it's not for me to speak and judge an individual on their own journey and on their own way that they, you know, they deal with their um, challenges. But for me personally, I believe that my best way to deal with my OCD is to spread knowledge about it and to spread awareness about it. And I think that's one of the best ways um, to kind of damper down misconceptions um, is just to be more vocal about it um, and just be more confident in having it. You know, a lot of people with OCD, OCD is actually um, known as the secretive syndrome because a lot of people hide their OCD symptoms and their tendencies. So a lot of people don't know I have OCD because we're really secretive and about having it in the first place. And people are secretive for a variety of reasons, but a lot of times people are secretive because of the illogical nature of the obsessions and compulsions. We know, I very well know that swallowing a nail is very, very odd. And I know that it's super illogical. So, and I'm not gonna just go around and say, hey, like your worst fear are like boogeymen. Like, yeah, I totally get that. Like. I, I'm super scared of the dark too, but my biggest fear is swallowing a nail accidentally. Like as a child or as like even an adult, like people are kind of taken aback like, whoa, what's wrong with this girl? <laughs> and so what kind of happens as a result is that people just don't really talk about it and they hide it and that's okay. But I've become super proud of it um, through my own faith and through my own therapy journey and through the support of my friends and family. I've just learned to embrace it. And I think that's the best way to go about, you know, lessening misconceptions. Also, obviously, psychological research. Right. I'm a big <laughs> plug for that. Um, I think changing the um, representation of OCD within the media will be super important. Um, if anyone's familiarized with um, the TV show Monk, that had a huge influence on people's understanding of OCD, specifically in regards to like germs and contamination and dirt. Um, and so that was only just like that scratched the surface of the surface in regards to OCD. I think it's the media is getting a lot better. I've seen a lot of different programs that are starting to portray not OC, not only OCD, but other mental health disorders in a more accurate and more representative way as well. 
But in regards to OCD, just kind of showing the spectrum of OCD and how it varies from person to person, I think, will also be a big way in helping out with um, stereotypes and misconceptions. Yeah, I think like American culture as well, it's not just like social media, but like American culture just kind of like pushes back mental illness and kind of says mm-hmm. like, well, uh, it's not really like a real issue or whatever. And it kind of like dismisses a lot of like people who have uh, mental disorders. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for example, one thing I noticed growing up was I knew a guy with ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. Is that Aren't they like kind of like the same thing? Am I? Yeah, so they're okay. very similar. They're very, very similar. One has hyperactivity, one both. doesn't. Okay. I yeah. Remember, yeah. Um, he had one of the two. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But all I know is like growing up, um, I would hear people like dismiss him kind of in a way that's kind of just like, oh, he's just being like so and so, just being so and so. Like, just get used mm-hmm. to it. Like, get over it. Type yeah. Of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than like sitting down with him, like, hey, that like, or, like, talking to one-on-one about it, um, he just got really dismissed about his behavior, um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that I just felt, like, weren't, um, healthy, and, Mm -hmm. like, uh, watching him, like, grow up, too, like, I was able to, like, kind of watch it manifest in, like, other, um, less healthy ways, too, um, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, no, I see, like, a lot of, like, cult or Americans or just people in general just don't have a good understanding of like mental health or like mental disorders at all to the point where Mm -hmm. like it's not really real to them because they don't suffer from any of it they might like have certain symptoms like anxiety Mm -hmm. or like um like some like symptoms like a person with OCD or depression might have but like it's not Mm -hmm. actually like real to them um yeah and, and I think too like or even just like um um guys as well like one thing for like guys growing up like one thing that's pushed on like from today's society or culture is kind of just like like you shouldn't have feelings um mm-hmm. and like m- mental disorder is like a weak sign for a guy uh i remember um being in like an xbox party back in like middle school <laughs> talking mm-hmm. to my friends and one of them was just like yeah if you if you have depression like you're just an idiot like, just get over it. I'm like, uh, well, like, look, I think that, I don't know what I said then, but all I know is, like, that didn't really sound right to me for one. And two, looking back, I'm like, that wasn't actually right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that today's culture really pushes away mental health for a lot of people. And a lot of people just put up a fake front on, like, how they really are and, like, what's really affecting them. So, but, yeah. I'm a little curious, like, with regards to studying psychology, because now I'm a psych major, which is really fun for me. Yes, I know. I dropped engineering. (laughs) I dropped engineering for this. So. Wow. Welcome. Like everyone else does that Iowa State. Like, probably a good percentage of people just go in Iowa State, be an engineer, and drop Mm -hmm. out anyways. And I was one of those people. So I'm not too sad or actually sad at all. I didn't like engineering. I was good at it but I hated it. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm studying psychology and religious studies. And I love that so much more Plus, um, because I'm studying it right now. I'm kind of curious, like, because you you studied it for the last four or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, how did like studying psychology affect how you viewed God or even like Christianity as a whole? Uh, yeah. I'm just really curious about that. Yeah. That's a really good question. And something I didn't really think about. Um, I just thought of it just now. So <laughs> 
That's a really, wow, I'm really impressed. Um, so psychology can be difficult because each person is different. So Right. One of my psychological psychological professors, one of my psych professors, um, she was very involved in the church. Um, she's a devout Christian. She was actually my mentor all throughout college. And wow. so she doesn't, obviously she doesn't, she talks about her faith every once in a while, but. In class or you like? Know, she, um, to me, she will okay. indicate a lot of her studies, a lot of her research studies that she does are faith-based. So I believe that she did recently a study about participation in um, mission trips through churches. So, you know, and being in psychology classes and we have to do research, you know, she talks about that and says, well, my research is this, this is what I'm interested. This is why I do it. Um, And the nature of central too is that we all know each other like we're all just a big family. So we know a lot about the personal lives of um, faculty and staff. That's just, it's amazing. I love it. Um, So she was a devout Christian. Um, I had another professor who was also a Christian. um, And then I don't know, obviously the status of the others, but I think having those individuals there to help and guide me was super helpful. But obviously, like if you're learning about evolution or if you're learning about like the history of psychology as well, sometimes it can kind of, there can be that clash between, you know, the, the belief of creation. Yeah. And I guess for me, usually for me, when I come across that information, whether it be in psychology, whether it be in any sort of other discipline, I kind of just take it as is and just know that my God is the creator and that, um, you know, there might be some things out there that we just can't understand, but that God has a plan and that he created everything. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's kind of where psychology is too. So like when we're learning about the historical starts of psychology, you know, we really don't go back to evolution, but we do learn about how the changing of humans over time has impacted psychology as a whole. And I do think that, um, and am a firm believer that science and religion can come together and that they can produce something really magical and really beautiful. And, um, I think that God is always in control. So as we, change as a human race as our brains change um god is behind it all and i guess that's just kind of that's kind of a weird answer but i hope that answers your question yeah um and that's like i said like even in high school too like just encountering that sort of information that you know kind of brings up that i that that tension between okay like the big bang versus creation by god i've always obviously I was, you know, using my faith and being strong in my faith. I always went towards God and was like, well, God's the answer. So, I mean, everyone's different. But that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, too, my parents, my dad has brought up some really good points in the past, too. He said, one of the coolest things he said to me once, he goes, you know, who says that God didn't create, like, something that was super old and just had it there? He's like, yeah. 
he didn't necessarily create everything at the same time. Like there's, God is so magical and so like wonderful. And so that we can't wrap our heads around it. And so I think sometimes, you know, within the science field and just in general, um, we like to know what's happening and we like to have explanations and, with God, there aren't always explanations. And so that's kind of my dealy bop with it all, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I just kind of thought of really, or while you were talking about like creation. Yeah. Um, so. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, but the creation story, there's two of them. Genesis one and two are two different creation stories. And what's really mm-hmm. interesting is that they're two different authors and they actually, they're pretty different. Like how things are created for one, like the first one, uh, Genesis one, I think is that, that's the one God speaking things into existence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when he's like walking around, he's like, like the avatar crafting things and it's like really cool. Yeah. But, um, what's really interesting to me is that like, like we can't necessarily even or take a seven day creation quite literally too, because, mm-hmm. um, like, well, what constitutes as one day? Well, for us it's 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but like God created heaven's earth in one day, what constitutes a day for God? And I don't know, but like having that or thinking about that too, it just kind of like kind of mind blows me. Like it's not maybe not like literal like seven days, but because day and night wasn't even a thing yet at the time, and what mm-hmm. even constitutes that full period for God? God's God, He's time is a super weird thing to me with God. Like, I, I don't know how, like yeah. how I can never fathom it and trying to do that. Actually, like it's hurting my brain right now. trying to think about that, but I don't know. I always found that really interesting that, uh, about that, like maybe seven day, cre- I don't know if it's seven day creation, not all I know is that Genesis one and two are not really telling me much about the creation, but the character who God is. And mm-hmm. you learn a lot about like God as like a loving creator. Um, authority over all this creation but also a judge we see in genesis 3 and i think that was what they were the jewish writers were trying to tell us at that time not that god created earth this way this way this way and but these mm-hmm. steps god created the universe but i think it's a lot pointing to just like this is who god is and now the rest of the bible is going to show a lot more about god and yeah that's a lot more beautiful to me than <laughs> um here's a step-by-step guide of how god created the universe Mm-hmm. I think we get so wrapped up in trying to learn, trying to get information for ourselves and like almost like get upper hand with that, like, and have a free understanding. But like you said, we're not even God and there's mm-hmm. no way I can actually fathom that. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I'm a little curious about too is the Enneagram. How do you feel about that? Yes. So I'm not super educated in the Enneagram. Um, I, so my mentor back at Central, she's actually trained in like training people to figure out their Enneagram. Oh, that's super cool. And she, I know, also cool though, is that she ties it into faith. So she like utilizes the Enneagram as a way to like look into people's faith journey. I'm not really sure, but it's something along the lines of faith and the Enneagram and how they mix together. Anyway, 
So that's really all I know about the Enneagram. <laughs> I've taken the test. Um, I heard the test is not, what, it's really bad, yeah. I, so I've taken the test. I have gotten two numbers, two different numbers. Um, and so I did actually sit down with my mentor and was like, hey, like, I, what's up with this? And she's really anti like personality tests. Well, not anti, I shouldn't say anti-personality tests. She's very hesitant and weary about personality tests because she fears that, and this is, this is very true, that a lot of people utilize personality tests um, as a, like an end-all, like an end-all be-all. So if it says I'm a six, then I have to live and make decisions that correspond with the Enneagram number six. Rather, personality tests like the Enneagram and... Um, all those other ones, I don't even know now. Um, but all those other ones, you can use them as like a teaching tool to figure more out about yourself, but you shouldn't rely on them wholeheartedly to describe who you are as an individual, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I see you know, like on still, Insta- Yeah, I see on mm-hmm. Instagram like people post, or there's like accounts like Enneagram, whatever, and they post like um, a, a six, a loyalist is this, 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 this um and like people really love to take these um or look at these accounts and look at these pictures and see all the good qualities but like Mm -hmm. when you're faced like the bad qualities kind of like uh whatever uh but even so like people really kind of misused it as a personality test because like even any test is not really a personality test um mm-hmm. but like it tells you a lot about i was listening to a podcast by like suzanne something i don't know her last name but yeah. she's like a really big inning person um mm-hmm. also she hates it per, uh, the test too because she says like it's like 40 percent right usually and yeah. like every single like enneagram person i've talked to ever is told me like don't take the test please that's a really bad idea i'm like great <laughs> all right but like um what suzanne talked about was how like the Enneagram is really about um, how people think, feel, and do. It's like a, uh, it's like the, it's even like a psycho or a psychology thing, like the cognitive triangle. Is that what it is? Thinking, feeling, doing, and the word seeing in the middle. I think I, I think we learned about it in maybe. one of my classes. Maybe. Well, I okay, learned. I, maybe. Yeah. I had that in one of my intro to psych classes, and so we learned mm-hmm. a ton of random things. So <laughs> I think I've already seen that in yeah, one of my of classes. But and so it's. Um, thinking, feeling, doing is in a triangle and seeing in the middle. So you see something and mm-hmm. how like now how you perceive it is like the thinking, feeling, doing. So one of one of three is your, like your dominant trait. One is your, one supports the dominant and one mm-hmm. um, is recessive. And so like for yeah. me, I'm a big thinker. I see something that I think and then like how I respond and what supports that is by doing. Um, yeah. And what I rest, like, don't have a lot of is like feeling uh, a lot of big walls mm-hmm. and I like choose not to feel um, or just like negate my own feelings and stuff like that. I think I talked about vagina anyways in my, on my last episode, but um, what was I even going with this? Oh yeah. But she talked about how like, yeah, you see, and then you do like you have one, one supports and then one is like recessive. Your entire life's work is trying to like make that recessive one more like, prominent and like leveled out with the other mm-hmm. two and yeah. people have misused Enneagram a lot to make it just like well I'm actually a five and therefore I'm this 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 
and this, this, mm-hmm. and I have these bad traits or whatever, and leave it there. Um, exactly. Well, like it does expose certain things, like about like with your tendencies, because if you mm-hmm. like a person who thinks and then does and feels or and negates feelings, might go go towards these tendencies. Um, well, let's just some of that. Like that's not the really main point of it, but it actually serves as like a reference to like now I know going into a situation, I'm allowed to feel feelings or like I'm allowed to look back and reflect and actually feel things um, and not just think and do or even like, um, actually, yeah, no, I get the point across, but people have missed these days personally, just like, as like the Myers-Briggs, like, well, mm-hmm. that's like an actual personality test. So like, that's a little bit more um, self-centered when that right. But Enneagram is not that. And I see everyone posting around, and not to like be like, tell everyone like, oh, stop using Enneagram or whatever, but like, yeah, look at what you're really doing with it. Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's become a little self-serving in a, in a certain sense, kind of just like, I want to feel good about my good traits or I'm, in, I'm a nine, so I do this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you don't necessarily have to do that. And like, that's not really how that works so you know that's a bad mm-hmm. trait so how do we fix that people leave mm-hmm. it at without the let's fix it right now let's try to mm-hmm. make some type of work to fix it and how you do fix it is by consciously now going to these type of situations with acknowledging i can feel or for a person who doesn't think as much i don't say like think because like obviously like i have feelings even like but i tend to repress them and for someone like that's not like a thinker they might not have might not rationally think all the time and might kind of just like maybe overreact or whatever. Um, kind of, yeah. It kind of varies on each person or for a doer, obviously, or a non-doer. I mean, they might like feel something, think something and just like sit with it. Like, for example, like um, a kid who sees a dog, they're kind of like, they feel happy. Um, they think I want to pet the dog, but they don't actually pet the dog or going maybe a different route. Maybe they, they pet the dog first, like they just go and start petting the dog and they feel happy. They don't really think, maybe I should have done that. <laughs> That's not my dog or whatever. Um, what's the last one? Yeah, or even someone who like feels, wait, did I? I don't know which one I missed, but that's okay. I think feels happy maybe. <laughs> I think. I don't know either, okay. but I get I think, yeah. I, I think they'll get the point or yeah, whatever. That doesn't matter that much. You can figure it out yourself. But yeah, my main point is people have misused Enneagram a lot. And well, mm-hmm. actually, I think the Enneagram is a really helpful tool. And I've used it a ton for myself or used to a lot. I stopped using it because like as I'm growing, maturing, like I'm becoming more of like who I really am. Um, and therefore, like, I don't actually know what my Enneagram number is. I'm speculating towards a seven because Mm -hmm. that makes sense with like how I uh, think and do Um, sevens turn to negate the feelings and put them in like a happy, happy state, almost like replace with a happy emotion, happy thing. And almost like joke about their pain in such a way. And that's something I do. And so I wouldn't be surprised if I'm a seven and I'm, but I'm going to like hold off a little bit before I'm just like, I'm definitely a seven. That's what I am. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, what, what I'm really interested with in psychology is a lot of emotion 
and like a lot of people do things and how people come the way they are. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, at least that's like what I really enjoy learning about too. And so finally another psych person to talk with about it. Yes. Yay. I'm here for any of your questions ever. <laughs> but yeah, I love, well, religious studies matter too. I love implementing the Bible into psychology. Mm-hmm. how people work with that too and i don't know all of it just really just kind of just amazed me in a lot of ways but really enjoy learning about that um Good. we're actually hitting like an hour and yeah we just hit an hour just a little bit ago i think uh, yeah i know um a little crazy um i think something you mentioned something you really wanted to talk about but we never got to talk about yet but i forgot what it was I don't remember. Oh, I, maybe it might've been treatment, but that's, I, I think maybe. Oh yeah. I don't think it, if it was super important, I think I would remember, but it's not, <laughs> it must not be because it's not in my working memory. So I'm not recalling it. So I must have just, I, it was in my short term memory and then it was gone. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so you wait for your, like, um, so you senior you like you studied, was it all just like OCD then? Your yeah, yeah. So my did you, study. Yeah. Did you focus on <laughs> so any my, other like areas too? I so my junior year, I actually did a study with a group of people. So in the psychology um, department at Central College, you have to in order to get your psych degree, you have to do two studies. Um, and so your first study is one that you do with a group. And then your second study is when you do by yourself. And so the study that I did with my group was based on a study that I had kind of created and originated as a sophomore. So when you're a sophomore psychology student at Central, you have to like create, uh, create some sort of psychological study that you'd be interested in doing. And so I had created um, and looked into doing a study about people's perceptions of obsessive compulsive disorder and specifically looking at how um, knowledge and prior contact with individuals with OCD influences um, individuals' beliefs and Mm -hmm. ideas about OCD, specifically in regards to like stereotypes. Um, And so my group, my junior year, altered that to schizophrenia specifically. So what we looked at was how knowledge um, and information influenced people's perceptions of those with schizophrenia. And so that one was super interesting. And we had a lot of great success with that um, study in and of itself. And it was, it was really cool to accomplish that with a group. And so then my senior year, I did kind of something along this same lines, but a little bit differently. Um, I looked at obsessive compulsive disorder, finally um, got to do that. I chose to do that. And I looked at, oh, what did I do now? I looked at educators' abilities to identify obsessive and compulsive behaviors in the classroom. So I was actually my mom, so as a student with OCD, I had issues sometimes with where I didn't know I had OCD and my teachers didn't know, but I would struggle. And that does happen with students. Um, younger kids with OCD do show um, 
ha do have a tendency to struggle academically and struggle um, socially within the setting of school simply because of the nature of OCD. And typically people with OCD, they have found that they have a rather um, high level of intellect. So it's not that they are struggling intellectually, it's that their obsessions and their compulsions inhibit their ability to display um, their true level of understanding. And so as a student, you know, I had troubles with that. You know, one of my ITBS tests I one time took, I, if anyone remembers those bubble tests, you know, That's you terrible. have 50 minutes to, I know, you have 50 minutes to fill in 50 bubbles or whatever. And when I was in high school, I, and in 50 minutes, I finished half of my test and I didn't even realize. And I, that's when we kind of started noticing my perfectionism um, in regards to my OCD. And so we ended up getting back the, you know, the school was a little worried because I'd only finished half of my test and typically individuals are able to finish the entire test um, because they're standardized. So there are, are studies done to make sure that it's, you're given enough time for the majority of students to finish. And so my test came back and I had gotten all 25 right. So it was just a matter of I had panicked and was unable to move forward. And that's a whole nother story. But so that's just kind of how a demonstration of how OCD can kind of work its way into the school setting. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to see, okay, I wanted to look at, I was blessed to have a 504 plan. So for those who don't know what a 504 plan is, it's um, kind of like, um, so for students who have any sort of disabilities or challenges, they can have specific um, paperwork and documentation that allows them to get the accommodations that they need. Um, and so I had a 504 for extra time for tests, and um, which was awesome. And I'm so glad I had that. But I was curious because for individuals, I had no idea what a 504 plan was, but my mom did because she was a teacher. And so I started to kind of think, okay, if my mom wasn't a teacher, I wonder if I would have ever known what a 504 plan was. And I wonder if I would have ever been able to address these school issues that I had with my OCD. And so that all kind of came together. And I started looking into, okay, what is a teacher's role in helping to identify and helping to facilitate accommodations for students with OCD. And so that's kind of what my study ended up being. I um, had two groups, one group received information about OCD, one didn't. And then they took, um, I gave them um, little vignettes, which are like little stories and um, saw if they were able to identify whether or not the student had obsessive compulsive tendencies and what they would do in regards to that if that was showing if that showed up in their classroom so yeah yeah so i kind of i remember the question i had um while yeah. you're talking um because you mentioned it a little bit um about like perfectionism and like ocd with that i'm a little curious mm -hmm. like how did how is like being a perfectionist like has that affected your almost like how you lived with God and like, did you almost like see him in like, I need to do that, like see his love as con or conditional sometimes with that. I'm a little mm -hmm. curious with that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thankful in that my OCD does not, in regards to perfectionism, isn't tied to my faith. 
Um, I mean, it can every once in a while sneak its way in, but right. for the most high, for the most part of my life, it's not tied to my faith. So that's good in and of itself. But my perfectionism does, since it so strongly um, influences like my schoolwork, uh, I had, so like in college, then I would have trouble with like maintaining my faith. And so my faith would start to struggle because I was spending so much time on homework mm. um, because I couldn't get past the perfectionism. And so, and even tests too. So like I would take, so like a normal um, psychology assignment that would take a student 30 minutes took me two hours. And then on top of that, I had um, you know, 30 minutes worth of reading, but in reality, it took me two hours to read as well because I had to reread and make sure that I memorized it all. And so what ended up happening was I had to start in order to make time for all of my studies and all of my OCD perfectionism compulsions, I missed out on opportunities to go and further develop my faith. So I, you know, wasn't able on Sundays, I was too tired to get up and go to church because I had stayed up until 4am um, on Friday, Monday through Friday, I had stayed up until four in order to finish my homework. Um, I wasn't able to be a part of certain um, Christian organizations when I was younger. Um, so like my freshman through junior year, because it was too much work for me to try and balance it all. So I had to get rid of a lot of things and, in order to be able to maintain my desire for perfect grades. And what suffered was I kind of lost God in the sight of that. Um, and so thankfully through my mentor um, and through some support, my senior year was a great year and I was able to kind of get things back on track, um, kind of able to level things out a little more and, kind of push back on that perfectionism and then grow in my faith a lot more. Cause as I stated earlier, I was part of university. Um, I attended um, an intervarsity like conference down in Florida over Christmas break. I um, was going to church and doing different stuff like that. So my faith started to bloom and blossom once again. Yeah. What would you say to like, I mean, not just people with OCD or, mm -hmm. but just like people who, um, who just took a lot of the time away from God and like put it onto like school or tell yeah. other places like that. Like how would you like speak life into them and encourage them to go back into the faith or back into the word or um, things like that? Yeah. Um, I think my biggest, my biggest advice is that God always provides support and the relief that I felt from just going back to God was like, it's, incomprehensible. Um, when you're in that moment, focusing on schoolwork, you feel alone and you feel like it's all me. It has to be me. I have to do this. Um, it, it, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm alone. And that is a really dangerous place to be. And you can find so much freedom and so much just happiness and joy and light and knowing that God is always with you, even in those tough moments and in those academic moments specifically. And also know that God loves you for who you are. God doesn't love you because you have an A plus on a psych test or because you got an right. F on a psych test. God loves you because you're his child and you're his creation. And he has a plan for you no matter what. 
And so whether or not you fail this test, whether or not you ace this paper, it doesn't matter because God still loves you no matter what. And you're still God's child. And you still, your purpose here on earth is to spread God's love and to spread his word. And he will guide you um, wherever you need to go in respect to that. And so I think that's my that's my advice um you'll find so much yeah you'll find so much healing um and just community too i think um when you focus a lot on academics you end up being alone because you are spending so much time on getting everything done that you alienate yourself from community and so when i started getting back involved with um the christian with looking at my faith again i was I had a community surrounding me to help me, to guide me, to support me, um, to pour into me when I needed that help and that support. And I just, it was, it was a whole different year. My senior year was awesome because of it. So, and that's what I would encourage people to do. It's not easy. Um, and it does take some time and some determination and some discipline and it'll be uncomfortable, but in the end, it's totally worth it. Yeah, I think one thing, I, was reading, I don't remember what book I was reading, but it said something like, like when you get to heaven, you're not going to say it. You're not going to look back and say, I wish I spent, um, well, the book was talking about money, but it, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, you're not going to get there and say like, I wish I spent more time um, at work getting more money. Like now you're going to exactly. probably say, like in the person's guy, you can probably say something like, wow, I, I wish I spent a lot more time talking about Jesus and someone else or being with God on earth than mm-hmm. worrying about school, um, money, work, whatever it might be. Yeah. Those things are temporary. Um, exactly. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, final thing. If someone wants to like contact you, um, wonder, wants to reach out, ask more about your story or yeah. has any questions or just wants to chat, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so I am on Facebook, good old Michelle Lindhart, you can find me, friend me, um, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Um, also, I'm on Instagram too. Uh, I think my name is, my name is Smidge on Instagram, so it's underscore S-M-I-D-G-E, so you can find me there too. Um, but yeah, reach out, I'd love to talk to you. I love talking, as you can tell. There it is, everyone. Um, hope you all enjoyed this episode with Michelle, not Jenna. Almost said Jenna. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about OCD and things revolving around that. A lot of things I didn't know. And so I hope you guys learned something new at the very least. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening.